My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading comes from 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing food from the first fruits to the man of God, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Elisha said, Give it to the people and let them eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred people? So he repeated, Give it to the people and let them eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. He set it before them, they ate, and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered Jesus, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. We're going to start this morning with just another 
spattering of observations about what's going on in the Gospels, where we're at right now. Because it kind of feels like we're in series. We're at the same point in Jesus's ministry, but we've also jumped Gospels. And that transition could be a little bit jarring. So let's just smooth it out for a bit this morning. (laughs) Now, last week I pointed out how the lectionary, the Bible readings we have set out ahead of time, you know, are influenced at least in some part by the cultural traditions and rhythms that we have here in the United States and Canada. So last week we had Jesus ensuring that even the disciples got some leisure time. We happened to read about Jesus and the disciples getting a chance to get away and get some rest right smack in the middle of the month that we most commonly go on vacation, preachers included. There was even this quirky little detail. I I left it out last week, but I want to bring it in now because, um, well, I'll tell you why. The detail is people walked around the Sea of Galilee and yet beat Jesus who took a boat to get to the other side. In a race, that would never, ever happen, right? It's always quicker to go straight across the lake than it is to walk around it. But that's one of those details that was left in Mark to further show and yet not quite tell that Jesus and the disciples took their time to get across as they were relaxing. John doesn't emphasize the relaxation, but we still get the sense they took their time. So just a little bit of a different emphasis there. Now, last week, I mentioned how in the verses we skipped, we had Mark's telling of the feeding of the thousands. It's an event that's included in all four Gospels. And from there, the central point was that The people could not engage God, they couldn't follow Jesus, they couldn't hear the gospel in a proper way unless their basic needs were met. And I will confess I was a little bit unaware that we would have this reading this week. I often look ahead, but sometimes fail to. And in fact, I even referenced John 6 last week. I said, uh, I pointed out how Jesus accused some of only following because they saw signs and ate their fill. Just a clunky clarification here. I wasn't misremembering, I wasn't incorrectly putting those words in Jesus' mouth, uh, even though they were John's words, that verse we had today where the gospel writer points out they're there because they saw signs is a different verse. We just didn't quite get the one I referenced last week. That's uh, verse 26. It's just like three verses past where I stopped. Okay, next observation. Despite how jam-packed Mark 6 is with these important and pivotal events for that gospel, We can see now why we skipped his telling of the feeding of the thousands, because here we are one week later with John's telling with just a little bit of different emphasis on what was going on around that time. Finally, bringing these ideas together, one cultural influence on the lectionary is the fact, the reality, that for most of us, even up to to and including you every Sunday sort of congregation members, the people that are in church virtually every Sunday. If you're going to miss a few Sundays, they're probably in the summer. Most of us miss the most in the summer. And as a result, our lectionary does tend to be a little bit repetitive. It doesn't always assume that you were here last week, and this week doesn't assume you'll be here next week. And that's okay. It's okay to be a little repetitive in church because, after all, Jesus said these things over and over. The gospel writers included these sorts of lessons over and over. So apologies to those who do catch every Sunday because you're probably going to notice some redundancy this time of the year. But again, it's okay because those lessons are, in fact, 
important. See, I'm being repetitive too. And speaking of repeating things across Gospels, like I said, we have an event here in John that's included in all four Gospels. And the fact is, there's only a few things that are included in all four Gospels. And we can make that list a little longer by not worrying about what's strictly explicit, but instead what's alluded to. But let's just look at how list, how list how short that list still is. We've got John the Baptist ministry, Jesus' baptism, the passion, like the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, and the proclamation he has been risen. And if we get a little bit fuzzier, we might say all four Gospels record Jesus being anointed by a woman, but the details there vary enough that it could well have been two separate yet similar events, right? One was with oil, one was with perfume. Now, thus far, that feels like Bible trivia, right? And I'm just kind of catching us all back up on the church's practices with the lectionary and why we do things the way we do in the summer. But this last little detail about it, the feeding of the thousands being one of a handful of events that are recorded in all four Gospels, that's real important. Why? Well, what I observe about these events that are for sure included in all four Gospels is that they would have been well-known. They're the kind of things that had a lot of people there observing. A lot of people witnessed them. And when you get thousands of witnesses all in one place, that kind of news will travel so quickly across the countryside that almost everyone in the area who's ever heard of Jesus has heard those stories. And as a result, no story about Jesus, which goes from his ministry through death and resurrection, would be complete without them. Put it another way, if you came preaching in a new town, and maybe even before the Gospels were put to paper, you get to a new town, there's no church, but you can still lead with, hey, I'm here to tell you about the guy you heard just fed thousands of people out of nothing or next to nothing. That gets you a foot in the door. And it lends credence to the events. The Gospels aren't history books in any modern sense, but it's almost inconceivable that they would make a claim, uh, that all four of them would make a claim that's so outlandish, that had so many witnesses, unless it really happened the way they said it did. Okay, so last week we looked at how one motivation for Jesus to feed people is so that they can be freed to follow and learn. Just meeting those basic needs meant they didn't have to work. It meant they could go deeper in their relationship with God, and it meant the kingdom of God would expand quicker. Now we take note of another yet similar reason that this will get people talking. We complement this sign with a reading from Elisha because... Mm, a miracle like this did happen before, but as it almost always goes with Jesus, he takes a familiar story or miracle from the Jewish tradition and amps it up to 11 or turns it up to 5,000. If one of God's run-of-the-mill prophets could do it, of course Jesus can do it. Anything Elisha can do, Jesus can do better. The list of motivations seems to keep growing. Jesus had lots of good reasons to do this. People's needs are met so they can learn. It's big and public enough so the word gets out there. And now we note, besides all that, Jesus is demonstrating his authority and his rightful place in the tradition. All of that caked into, no, baked into some bread and broiled into some fish. Baked into a story so familiar, so famous, that we often don't even give it 
a second thought. And yet all of that is going on in Jesus' ministry in these pivotal moments. Well, for today, I actually want to do just that. We're going to pivot one more time and give this reading a second thought. Real quick at the end here. Because I said, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how I said it today, but I've generally said recently that the summer is about Jesus' teachings and ministry. That's kind of the theme of the season of the time after Pentecost. It's also repetitive, right? We hear the same lessons over and over, and they tend to be pertinent to our cultural year, where we're at in our rhythms. And all that adds up to mean that coming soon, and we're kind of creeping into it, is the everyone's least favorite subject matter at least in the church, <laughs> stewardship. Broadly, stewardship is just about how we use the gifts God has given us, including our time, our abilities, and our various resources, which it must be noted is not just money. One of the lessons that's hopefully hit on a time or two from the pulpit or otherwise by the time we get to the end of the church year, well, we got it right here this morning, so let's get it out of the way. When we have this issue, how are people going to be fed? Philip? comes and says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? What is such a meager amount of food among so many people? And yet Jesus calls for them. He takes them, gives thanks. He breaks bread, you know, the things he's prone to do, and then shares them. And then, as we saw in the, earlier in the tradition, when they're done, there's leftovers. There's more than they began with. There's more than they began with, which is another detail uh, Then shows, but doesn't tell another detail that the boy who gave up his lunch does not go hungry. God has this way of turning our relatively small gifts into big impacts. Sometimes it's in mysterious and unseen ways. A few dollars here or there, maybe it means nothing to me today, but to someone else, perhaps it becomes the difference between going to bed hungry or not for a day. Sometimes it's through God's church. We make dollars fly in the way we're motivated by the love of Christ. For example, the ELCA World Hunger Relief. Uh, you know, these are ministries that are church organized and operated, which, long story short, means a tremendously high percentage of the gifts that they receive, like the dollars they receive, go to actually helping people which is unlike many secular or governmental programs which have to worry about bureaucracy and administration and advertising or campaigning, which isn't to knock all of them. Some of them, of course, partnered with churches and otherwise do fantastic work too. Like right here in our backyard, we've got the Northern Illinois Food Bank that tells us for every dollar they receive, they can get about $8 worth of food to our neighbors in need. It's incredible. And I'd probably push that a little further by noting that I can't go in and out of Culver's without dropping $10. And if that were $80 worth of groceries, that's not eight times more food. $10 at Culver's is not the same as $80 at uh, Aldi, right? So as important as this event was from a historical standpoint, a reflecting on who Jesus was and what he means for the world, the feeding of the thousands, right? It's important because it gets the ministry going, uh, it gets the gospel out there. It's also, as these things go, it's a lesson, a model, it's something for us to consider today. 
Now, you or I are not going to do such an explicitly public miracle, but with God's help, maybe we take the role that young boy took. Maybe our meager gift is handed over to God and then goes a long way. The example Jesus has set before us then is to lean into that, to be effective stewards of what we have so more of God's people will be fed. And God willing, in time, hear the gospel as well. So whether that accusation, you know, the one we didn't quite get two weeks in a row here, John six twenty six, whether we follow because we wonder at the signs, or we follow because we've had our fill, at some point, Jesus calls us forward, to pay it forward, to now, in our day and age, as the body of Christ, be that sign for other people so that they might follow and be the ones who do the feeding so that they might have their fill. And God willing, in time, they too would have such a relationship with God and then pay it forward as well. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.